0: Welcome to today's Hubbard O'Brien Economics Podcast. We're recording this one on Friday, May 8th. I'm Tony O'Brien. I'm a professor of economics at Lehigh University. Joining me, as always, is my co-author, Glenn Hubbard, who is a professor of finance and economics at Columbia University. Today is a red-letter day for our podcast because we have our first guest. James Tierney is an assistant teaching professor at Penn State or as its alums who are in the National Football League say when introducing themselves, the Pennsylvania State University. James just finished up his sixth year at Penn State. He's very active on Twitter in the hashtag teach econ community. He enjoys being involved in the state college community through improv and entrepreneurship. We'll get back to the improv in a few minutes. And perhaps most importantly, his dogs have their own Instagram account. Glenn, James, how are you both today?
1: Great, thanks, Tony. Yeah, been doing great, thank you.
0: Okay, well, I thought we might start by asking James how the transition to teaching online this semester went. For many people, it was very abrupt, sometime around mid-March. And are there things you learned from your experience this semester that you might use if you teach online courses this fall?
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember when I found out that we were going to be doing the emergency remote teaching because I was flying back from Florida during spring break. And that was on Wednesday of our spring break. And they said we had to have our classes ready for Monday. (laughs) Lots of universities gave an extra week and they were like, nah, let's just go, which I'm glad because I didn't have to jam a bunch of information into you know, one less week. So I, I landed Wednesday night, spent all day recording videos, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that way I could get all my material up for the following week right on our Canvas, on our learning management system for the students to have the full week. Now the university did suggest that we do synchronous learning. In fact, they required it at first just for the way that Pennsylvania has their financial aid that online classes counted for a different percentage. So they were unsure of how that was going to change in the legislature. So they're like, you need to meet synchronously. I teach super, well, not super large, but 250 student lectures. And a lot of them were away for spring break. Some of them were across the globe. So trying to make sure that 250 people were meeting at the same time seemed not correct for me. So instead, what I did was I posted everything at the beginning of the week, which included what would be clicker questions in class, what would be quizzes, any sort of assignments. But then I still came on Zoom during our regular class times and invited anybody to come in and talk about either the material or the situation going on. And it worked, it worked well. Uh, students seemed to respond fairly well to it and uh yeah and that was that was the approach i took
0: do you plan on doing more or less the same thing this fall then i guess now has penn state decided whether they're going to try and bring students back to campus is it still up in the air i know at lehigh it's still up in the air they haven't really decided uh, whether they're going to try to have a regular on-campus semester in the fall
1: Yeah, they said that we'll know for sure June 15th, which I think is still pretty early. So my guess is they're going to punt that back a month or so. They've already moved the first summer session, and most departments have moved second summer session to fully online. If we need to go to some sort of either hybrid or fully online system in the fall, I will change it up a little bit, but not much. I'm still going to post stuff weekly. I'll have to think a little bit more about assessments because that was the toughest part. Doing Figuring out with my limited grading help how to formally assess students when they have the world at their fingertips. Because at least this semester, we didn't have like ProctorU or anything like that available to us. So we had to move everything to open book, open note, open internet because I can't sit there and figure out what they're looking at. So the exam averages were much higher for the last exam and the final, but at the same time, I'm not gonna worry about that. Did you get feedback from the students
0: on the grading? Because I know that that is a sore point with both instructors and students. Do do you feel they were satisfied that they felt everyone was on a, a level playing field and nobody had an advantage that another student uh, might not?
1: So I was pretty lenient with students to start off with, and at least with my class, I got pretty solid feedback. The students who I did talk with were very thankful that my class stayed the same. So I had weekly assignments online through my econ lab, also through Packback, and I just kept those the way it was. I converted my in-class participation to Canvas quizzes and a couple of Fred assignments. And so I kept everything exactly the same. The The exams I kept as similar as possible, pulling in some multiple choice questions from the test bank, but then also writing my own and doing some algorithmic questions in Canvas. So the feedback that I got was Thank you for keeping everything the same because there were some instructors who just revamped the entire class and they weren't able to, to keep up with it. But I did that more for me, to be honest. Like <laughs> it wasn't necessarily me thinking through the research or the pedagogy. It was like life was turned upside down for instructors as well. And the easiest thing for me to do was just put the information in and continue. Like I didn't want to use brain power to think about exactly how I'd make this the perfect class.
0: Glenn, has Columbia decided whether to do summer all instruction on campus this fall or is it still up in the air?
2: It's still up in the air, Tony, although I think what will happen is a bit of both, maybe not exactly at the beginning. Large uh, classes like principles of economics, to be example, probably will have to be online. But other classes probably will have A-team, B-team, C-team structures where some students are in the classroom, a different group each time, which makes it hard for those of us teaching because, you know, I've got to watch the faces in the room and the faces on the screen. So it's, it's going to be interesting. The, the Zoom uh, technology has good possibilities for teaching, but keeping students engaged for 90 minutes is a challenge.
0: That's for sure. Mm-hmm. James, uh, do you think there are particular advantages or disadvantages to teaching principles of economics online as opposed to maybe an intermediate course or uh, you know, a, a field course?
1: So I was, I consider myself very lucky this semester because I'm currently developing the Penn State World Campus intro to macro class. So I had already been in the thought process of how would this look online? I also didn't have to teach intermediate macro for the first semester in six years, which I was really bummed about. I love teaching the intermediate level class, but we had a couple of people leave and we weren't able to finish those positions. We weren't able to fill those positions. So I had to go teach an extra section of intro. Once we went remote, I was so thankful. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. have to worry about my intermediate class because our intermediate classes here at Penn state are still rather large, you know, 125 people. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure how I'm going to go about and do that in the fall. Cause I am back to, to intermediate. I do know if I teach this small section in the summer, cause the summer course that they're asking us to have additional sections of are limited to 25 people. It's much more, it's incoming freshmen trying to give them a little bit of, it's called the leap section. It's supposed to leap you from high school to college that I will most likely do project based. I will do some blog posting, things like that for students. I mean, intermediate macro, if it's completely online, I guess having them upload exams. I, I haven't even really thought much about it. I think it's not as hard for intro level because if you do the learning objectives, you can, you can write some decent questions. The assessment tools that are online, either through a My Econ Lab or through a Canvas, you can get some stuff that will, will help out with it. But intermediate for large lecture is is going to be a going to be a tough.
0: Yeah, I think we're all feeling our way in these uh, these unusual times. Let me um, pivot to, from uh, pedagogy and, and the mechanics of teaching to, to economics. This morning, we received the latest monthly jobs report, which undoubtedly both of you have seen. The unemployment rate was 14.7%, the highest since the Bureau of Labor Statistics started these reports in 1948. We'd have to go back to the Great Depression of the 1930s to find a comparable rate. Payroll employment declined from last month by a staggering $20.5 certainly the largest in U.S. history, larger even than what we experienced during the 1930s uh, over a single month. On these podcasts, James, Glenn and I have been discussing the likely length and severity of the recession. Do you get many students asking you that question? Do they say, now, how long is this gonna last? When are we gonna be out of it? When are normal economic times gonna come? Uh, if they do, how do you respond?
1: For the first couple of weeks when we were doing the remote teaching, I had a decent amount of students come into our regular class time and ask questions about it. And at that time, we still weren't 100% sure. Uh, I spoke a little bit about, you know, is it possible for us to pause the economy, get this v shaped recession and get back at it in three, four months, which I think now after seven weeks, we've realized that's not going to happen. I do have a I do have students in my current class that are very interested in what's going on. Uh, I stay in touch with them mainly either through Twitter, or some email, where they'll ask me a certain question. I'll try and I'll try and do a blog post. Like yesterday, I posted a a blog on Medium.com that was just talking about the unemployment numbers for today, what we would expect, why we're seeing it. So I think we have some students that are that are interested in the actual situation that's going on with that being said it's probably three to five percent of my students since it's a gen ed class of 250 people the vast majority which i don't blame them during a time like this they're just trying to get through the semester and making sure their gpas don't get hit making sure that they're comfortable with their own mental health so i haven't been disappointed if students aren't interested in it but it is fun to have you know an 18 19 year old message me and just be like hey i read this article on oil prices being negative and i don't get it can we talk about it and like that just makes me so happy because it's sure i know it's someone who's interested in the material
0: yeah i guess as you were talking it made me think that the first year and second year students um although concerned may be a bit less concerned because they think you know maybe by the time they're seniors and they're thinking about their job prospects, things will be looking up. It's the seniors, I think, who must really be um, wondering what the heck uh, is going to happen and whether or not um, even some of the jobs they may have had commitments for, uh, whether those will actually pan out. Uh, Glenn, were you surprised by the number today, uh, the unemployment number, or was it pretty much what you had expected?
2: I actually expected something a little worse than I expect it probably is actually uh, a bit worse, but to you know to something James said, this is a you know a moment in the economy where there's a shutdown, and so I think students probably do want to understand why that's different. Normally, business cycles occur because of a problem within the economy in the financial system or the economy. This happened externally you know from a from a pandemic, so it is very nice. What was interesting to me about the employment report this morning was that 80% of the lost jobs counted themselves as temporary, meaning they do expect to be reattached to firms in the next few months. And to me, that's the the huge question, will that be possible or will too many businesses have failed? So I think that's gonna make the teaching in the fall particularly interesting, You know how these employment reports pan out and whether when we start reopening, businesses are as eager to get started i've been saying for some time that the reopening decisions i guess legally are governors but really it's when do consumers and workers decide it's safe to restart again and that who knows
0: that's a good point there was an article you you may both have seen the wall street journal today talking about the fact that some workers are reluctant to come back even when the companies have reopened Partly, if they're lower income or lower wage workers, they may be making um, more from the topped up uh, unemployment insurance payments. But also because some are a little concerned that uh, you know, they may be risking their health if they come back, particularly if they're in retail or you know, some job that they might have to interact directly with, uh, with the public. Um, along these lines, James, I know you're interested in the housing market. And we've seen some unusual things going on in that market. You may have seen the Wall Street Journal article from a couple of days ago that indicated that despite the decline in the demand for housing, housing prices have actually been increasing, at least for now, which is a great demand and supply example for introductory students. Uh, we've also seen Fannie Mae state that borrowers are missing payments on 7% of the mortgages it guarantees and that it expects that number to increase to as much as 15% of people missing mortgage payments. So did you have some thoughts on the housing market?
1: I guess my initial thoughts were that we would, I, I expected this, like it would, I, didn't, I guess I didn't expect that it was going to go up, like prices would go up. But I did say, okay, that demand's going to go way down. But also that, sh- that supply's got to, decline. Like people aren't getting out there wanting to sell their houses. At least that's not what I expected to happen. So I, I thought we would, I thought we would see prices stable until we kind of got out. And then once a lot of these, you know, state mandated, you know, you're not allowed to to kick people out, right? You're not allowed to evict them. So once all those payments start to come due, then are you going to start seeing people have to, put up their rental properties at a lower price and which will then have some sort of downward pressure on the actual housing market as a whole. So I was so excited. We just purchased a house less than a year ago in the borough of State College. And in my mind, I'm able to spend extra money on a house in a college town because up to this point, my thought process was always, A recession isn't going to hit a college town. We're pretty recession proof because more people will go to college. The students will still be here. And you can see that over the past few recessions that housing prices and economic activity in most college towns didn't really change that much. Well, this is very unique because if the students don't come back to state college this fall, it's going to be detrimental to the local businesses, the local economy. It already is. And will that bleed into the housing market? You know, does, does Penn State have to start furloughing some people or, or taking pay cuts? You know, I, I think there's just a lot of unknowns that we're not used to in this type of recession. So I was surprised to see the prices continuing to rise. I, I don't think that's going to be the, the case for months to come.
0: Yeah, I think that at uh, it, it Penn State, at, at Lehigh, at Columbia, that there are a lot of students who have off-campus housing. I'm sure the, pe- the people who own those buildings and are used to having a steady stream of students come and rent them are wondering, gee, you know, if some significant fraction of students are, are staying home and taking courses online, uh, are they actually going to be able to rent out all those apartments? Um, James, we're getting close to our time here, but I I wanted to ask you about this intriguing fact that you are involved in improv in State College. So I was wondering how you got started with that, and do you think it's helpful
1: for your teaching? So I'll take the first part of that question of how I got started, and that was when I was going to undergrad at Western New England College, a small- liberal arts school in springfield massachusetts and i was getting my liberal arts degree in economics and math and i had to fulfill an arts like column of my transcript and the only two that fit into my schedule were improv theater and paper making <laughs> and so <laughs> i would i thought like at the time i was interested in comedy but i'd never done any acting i'd never done any theater but I know that theater and acting and public speaking are, are very helpful in future jobs. So I said, well, I should do improv. And I just like fell in love with the art form. I took an additional semester of improv in undergrad. So I overloaded my second semester of senior year to like get some extra improv stuff in. When I went to grad school at UC Irvine, in Southern California, like part of the reason why I picked Southern California was because I wanted to do more improv stand up, and it was right next to LA. So I just continued taking improv classes, and it was super fun, was part of a ton of different theaters out there, and I I definitely helped me become a better instructor during graduate school, since we all know most graduate schools don't put a lot of effort and training into their grad students when it comes to teaching. So I felt like doing improv and doing theater stuff helped me feel more comfortable in front of large groups of individuals, and that helped me get my first teaching job at a community college, and it always ends up being a good talking point in any sort of interview. Here in State College, I got here, like we said, six years ago, and the first year and a half, I spent 60 hours a week working on Penn State stuff, figuring out how to teach large lectures, figuring out the administrative side, how do I control my email? Because even if only 10% of your students are emailing you every day, if you have 600 students, that's 60 emails a day. So trying to figure out how to communicate with my students. My syllabus went from three pages to 12 pages. It was a required reading, a ton of stuff. So after about two years of that, I felt comfortable in my new position and was looking for improv here in State College. And there were no adult improv communities. There was student improv, but I didn't think a new faculty member should be doing improv comedy with a bunch of undergrads. Uh, I found a couple of people that were interested, and we just started our own little group. And we didn't know where it was going to go. But after about six weeks, we ended up getting... Um, A grant, since we're all faculty members that run the company, we got a grant to start a teaching workshop series, had a ton of people sign up, and we've just been kind of growing ever since. We've written a few articles on improv and pedagogy. I presented at the St. Louis Fed to a ton of high school and uh, intro level instructors on how theater in the classroom can really help not just your students, but also you. It can be therapeutic. It can make you feel more comfortable, which will make your students feel more comfortable. Uh, The whole idea of improv is saying yes and, which for economists can sometimes be a stop sign because they're like, how can you say yes to a student if they give you the wrong answer? But it's not saying yes to the answer. It's acknowledging that that is currently present in your classroom. So if a student tells me the unemployment rate is 55%, I don't say yes, it is, but I agree with the, with the ethos of the classroom that that's been stated and I need to talk about it and I need to respond to it. So I just think any instructor or any anybody can benefit from improv or theater or something that makes you become a better communicator but also a better team player and and so I could this could be an entire another podcast (laughs) I could I could talk about (laughs) improv and pedagogy and the job market and how I want my students to do theater for for a couple hours so I'll leave that not so brief but briefer than I probably would want to uh conversation about that
0: Yeah, that's great. I I think that you're right that most people who, as we all have, have gone to graduate school. One of the things that is glaringly obvious is that we prepare academically and we do research, but we don't really spend much time in graduate school preparing for what's a big part of our our actual job, and that's uh, teaching. And it's great that you're able to bring this um, into the classroom. So James, I understand that you are going to participate in the online teach e-conference that's gonna take place June 17th and 18th as a virtual Zoom conference for instructors. And also I think it's gonna be on YouTube live. I think we'll put in the notes to this podcast how people who are interested can sign up for it but can you tell us a little bit about what the conference will be like
1: yeah so as we all know the sea tree conference has been canceled which is one of the larger gatherings for pedagogy and econ so a few people up at cornell have got together and they're going to be putting on this like you said a virtual conference about teaching economics and it's a two-day conference Uh, my part is going to be part of the plenary session which will be a panel four of us talking about adaptable teaching in this post-covid world so what will be we be doing in the fall if we have to go uh, virtual what are some things that we learned from the spring that we might bring with us for semesters to come but there's other sessions that'll be going along as well one on uh, diversity and inclusion in the classroom also another one with small changes with potentially big impacts so what they're trying to do is trying to bring uh, a smaller conference together so that we don't miss out on ctree i'm looking forward to it and i know you do have to register uh, and that is on the on June 17th and 18th. So I'm super excited. I was I'm so honored to be asked to be part of it. And it'll be fun.
0: It sounds great. It sounds both interesting and very useful as we all try to make our way through what may be a very different learning environment than what we're used to. Thanks so much, James, for joining us today. Just a reminder to listeners that we're continuing to post COVID-19 related updates to our blog at hubbardo'brieneconomics.com. We may also begin posting some material that's not directly COVID-related. Please check our blog regularly and please subscribe and you'll receive email alerts about new posts. Thanks again to everyone for joining us for this conversation. We look forward to connecting with instructors and students again on a future Hubbard O'Brien economics podcast. Please stay safe.